0: So here we are. We're continuing our series in Colossians, um, and we have now reached chapter 2. And and our title is Christ Above All. And as we've seen in the book of Colossians so far, um, it's really focused on Jesus and who he is. And Paul writing this from prison in Rome to these people in Colossae. Am I saying that right? Probably not. And and as we see in chapter 2, he's writing to not just this church, but the church nine miles away um, in Theodicea. Am I reading that right? He, he's, what he's doing is at this point, as he's writing this book from prison, he's nervous, or not nervous, but he's challenging those who would come and, and delude what, what has started as the gospel has prospered in this area. He's coming against false teachers, and we've been talking about that for a while. When I thought of this passage, and we're in Colossians chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 5 together, Um, I couldn't help but picture, how many of you guys ever seen the movie Gladiator? Russell Crowe, come on, a great, great film. If you haven't seen it, you need to watch it. I was actually thinking about playing the clip until like 30 seconds into it, some dude gets speared through the heart, I think someone loses a head, and I thought if there was any kids, it might be rough. So... But it, I got a picture of this movie Gladiator when reading this passage, and the and the picture I had was of this scene. And I think if you've seen the movie, particularly if you've seen the movie as many times as I have, you'll remember this. There finally this. Uh, and if you haven't seen the movie, it's about this general, this Roman general who uh, is about to receive Rome from the old emperor. Wants to give it to him, so he puts it back into the hands of the people. Uh, he's killed by his son. And, and so Russell Crowe's character ends up becoming a slave who becomes a gladiator. So now he's a gladiator, and he's been traveling through the Roman Empire with this ragtag group of slaves, and they're fighting. And the scene that I, I was thinking of after reading this passage was they had finally made it to Rome, and they're in the Colosseum at Rome. You guys remember this? And he's got the mask on because he knows the new emperor is going to recognize him and thinks he's dead. And they go into the Roman Colosseum, and it's the first time they're in there and they're kind of looking around and just all the, the spectacular magnificence of this Colosseum. And, and so this ragtag group of gladiator slaves are standing in the middle of the Colosseum. And what they were doing was they were, they were depicting a famous Roman battle in these games. And so what they would do in the depiction of the story of, in their history of this famous Roman battle the ragtag slaves who were the gladiators were playing the barbarian horde and then the victorious Roman army from Africa was coming in to destroy them and they were going to reenact this battle but actually have a battle and kill them all and they were watching this for entertainment. You guys remember this? So here's Russell Crowe. He's standing there and he's Maximus and he's all the guys are kind of standing around them, and they're waiting for the Roman soldiers to come out as this African famous Roman uh, battle was about to take place. And they're going to come out in chariots, and there's way more of them than there are of these few gladiators who are this barbarian horde. And what's supposed to happen is they're supposed to wipe them out, and everybody's going to cheer, and, and that will be the show for the day. And, and Maximus looks, doesn't look, but he says to the other men, how many of you were in the army? And you hear a couple of them say, I was, I was, I was. And they're all kind of looking around, waiting for the battle to start. And he says, on my command, we stay together. Stay together. If we stay unified, we'll win. Something like that. And so they say, okay. And as the soldiers come out in chariots and horses and they're riding around them, you see a couple of the of the slaves kind of straggle off and get killed straggle off and get killed and he says on me together 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 and you see them all come together into this uh, and he teaches them almost how to do this Roman thing that the Roman soldiers used to do where they put their shields down in front of them and then the other people on top would put the shields on the top and they made almost a complete circle of shields around the bottom and over the top and they all stood in, in, in the center and as they stayed together the, even the chariots would come and hit those shields and bounce off. They'd, uh, they'd throw spears, they'd throw arrows, and they were unable to penetrate them together with the shields the way they were. And then eventually, as you see in this battle, they begin to pick off the other ones, and they'll get up and they, and they win the battle to the point where the Caesar walks over to the guy who was running the games and doing the announcing, and he says, Ah, my memory may be a little foggy, but... Aren't the Roman soldiers supposed to win this, not the barbarians? And he's like, yeah, sorry, Caesar. And he's he's embarrassed because the barbarians win the battle. Paul, in Colossians chapter 2, is warning them of a danger, and he's telling them in 2 verses 1 through 5 how to overcome it. And it's incredibly relevant for us today. Let's read it together. Colossians 2, 1 through 5. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the richness of fullness and understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Look at verse 4. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. And like verse 4, if you go on to 6, 7, and 8, which I think, Mike, you doing that next week. As you see in in verse 8, he warns them again of this delusion and of the false teaching that's coming against them and tells them how to combat it. Think of it this way. If the enemy is coming at us from all sides and, and is intent on stealing and deluding and challenging and affecting your faith, and there was a way... For you to guard against that kind of delusion and that kind of attack and that kind of um, slow, maybe sometimes subtle picking away at your faith through false teaching and watering down and delusion. If there was a way to protect against that, if there was a way that you could grow in your faith and walk throughout your life of faith following Jesus in a way that you wouldn't be deluded, you wouldn't be affected, you wouldn't be sidetracked, wouldn't you want to do that? I know I would and here's what Paul says first what he does is he calls attention to his struggle so that their hearts would be encouraged look at that in verse 1 for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. As he's writing to them, he's he's writing to this church in Colossae and he's writing to Theodicea nine miles away and and faith has been birthed in these places and they're being encouraged and they're growing in their faith and he's, he's pointing to them out his struggle for them. And there's a couple of things he could be talking about here. He is in prison and he's struggling for his faith in that regard. He's struggling in the sense that in the midst of of prison and these dank circumstances that he finds himself in, I, I, I see here, and some commentators have said that, that there's this idea, because he's used this similar language in other places, of him struggling over prayer as he prays for them, as he thinks about them, as his affections are toward, towards them, and he's praying that, that they would their faith would be built up and that they wouldn't be deluded. He's struggling in prayer. He's struggling in, in writing this letter To these people, as he he wrote Colossians and Philemon and probably Ephesians, and he's writing these these letters to his churches. He's struggling for them as he's in these dank circumstances and writing very, very important, God-breathed, God-inspired documents. He's training and teaching, I'm not going to say his name right, Tychicus and Onesimus. I butchered it. The two dudes that he's going to send the letters back with. He's struggling with those guys. Probably should have looked that up phonetically before I did this. Paul points to his struggle so that they would be encouraged and built up in their faith. Think about that for a moment. He's, he's, he's writing this to guard against the delusion that's coming against them of their faith. And the first thing he does is he's pointing out his struggle. He's an example of, of someone. And it's interesting to me as I think about it, how you could have in that time, even today, look at Paul's life and have your faith not be encouraged and built up. Look at a man who is dedicated. Look at a man who is struggling for his faith. Look at a man who is, who is satisfied and content in Christ Jesus and what he's done for him and is, has done what he's done and is doing what he's doing for these churches as he prays for them and writes to them and encourages them. And he's pointing to his struggle and saying, look at this, to be encouraged. How are they encouraged? Now take a look at verse 2 with me. That their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of fullness, assurance of understanding, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. He calls attention to his struggle, and then he says to them, be encouraged by being knit together in love. And by being knit together in love, you're going to have a better capability to understand Theology, who God is and what he's done for you. This is huge. The heart of this passage is that Paul wants to guard these people against the delusion that he warns of in verse 4. And he says the way that that's going to happen is for you to be encouraged by being knit together in love. And by being knit together in love, you're going to grow in your understanding of who God is. That's what he's getting at in this passage. This is significant. This is significant to me. They're encouraged by their hearts being knit together in love. And by their hearts being knit together in love, they have a stronger understanding of who God is. John Piper says it this way. Sacrificial struggle leads to love. Love leads to assured understanding of God. Assured understanding leads to strong encouragement. And encouragement guards from delusion Paul in his desire to have these people who are not with him who he is not among as he writes to them and he sees delusion he sees false teachers from the outside he sees a culture from the from an ancient Jewish Uh, cultural worship of angels he sees sees this possibility from those within and from those without to delude the gospel of Jesus Christ is warning them on how to avoid these delusions of their faith warning them on how their faith cannot be picked away at and deluded and the way he does it he says look at how I struggle for you and my encouragement for you is that you would be knit together in love and you would grow into a greater understanding of Jesus how do we do this? How, how, how is this what guards us against delusion? Now, if we were to think about the status of the state of the church today and all the real possibility for us as a young church plant to be deluded, to be distracted, to have false teaching creep in and, and nip away at our vision and our our values, and the core mission that God has put us on, the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we've come to know. How, How easy would it be for the enemy at all sides to get at our faith and to delude us and to get us to a place where we're watered down, where we're distracted, where we're looking at other things that aren't what God has called us to do, not what God has revealed himself to be, not really the gospel of Jesus Christ. Has anyone seen that happen in the church at all? today how do we guard against that we guard against that by encouragement as we see later on a couple verses later in, in uh, six seven and eight by what completed encouragement would be which is thanksgiving by knitting our hearts together we would be encouraged and by being together we get to know who Jesus is more this isn't a minor thing, this is what Paul is saying will guard against us being deluded. That's us being together, knitted in real love. The kind of love that isn't an emotion, but the kind of love that, that, that is attached, that is, that, is, that is caring, that is loving, that is faithful, that as 1 Corinthians 13 describes it, we interact with each other that way. We're long-suffering with one another. Our, our lives and our hearts are knit together like a quilt as we're knit together as people of God, loving each other, somehow that enables us to understand who God is more. When I went to Bible school, I had uh, um, a bunch of friends who thought they were smart. And I don't mean that, they, they were smart. They weren't unintelligent people. But there's nothing more, those of you who, there's nothing more arrogant than people in school. Can I? You guys remember this? Some of you, some of you are in it, some of you, like as an attorney now working at the DA's office, I can't stand law students. They drive me nuts because they haven't experienced the real life yet, but they think they know more than they do. Knowledge puffs up, right? So you're sitting in college, you're listening to a knucklehead professor, and somehow you think you're smarter than everybody else. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And so I I had these friends in school, and they thought they were brilliant theologians, right? And, And they could, we would sit in the dorms, and we would debate, and we'd argue, and dudes thought they were smarter than everybody else, and... And there would be this uh, almost flippant um, way that we interacted with each other over weighty matters, and 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 you could think to yourself, in interacting in this way, is there a genuine bone in this person's body? Is there ever a moment of genuine love and care? And and we did this in such an arrogant way, the way we debated theology and doctrine, and the way we sat in class and tried to know more than the other guy, or, or, you know, sat in Bible studies, and the Bible study was more about who could say cool things about this passage cooler than the other dude who was going to interact and say cool things. You guys know what I'm talking about? And there was not this knitting together in love. There was almost an arrogance and a puffed up of knowledge, But, but... but what Paul is saying here is you can, you can get to know God. I, I know people that are brilliant, that understand, uh, can, can re- recite different positions and different doctrines and theological things. But, but they don't know God in the way that he's revealed himself. And, and, and an ability to understand doctrine and theology and who God really is comes with the knitting together with other believers in love. Along with study. Along with the understanding of the scriptures, there's an ability to know who God is as we interact with each other. You can't do it out there on your own. You've got to be a part of the body of Christ, growing together, seeing God work in the lives of people. I know I've said this before, but, but I, it, it's something that, that has become a part of our lives. When we, when we started Missio Church, um, uh, Jordan and myself and Jim began Missio Church in, in my house and then in the in the Baptist Convention and they moved up from Florida and our very, very good friend Maggie passed away, Jordan's wife. I learned more about what the scripture teaches about grace from being knit together with my friend Jordan Stinziano through the loss of his wife than I've ever learned before. Being a part of his life as he walked through losing his wife with four young children, taught me so much about who God is and who he's revealed himself to be and what his grace means. As we interact and and knit our lives together and walk through things with each other, we will learn about who God is as we study the scriptures together. That's why we do missional community. It's, it's, it's an ability to sit in a small group across from a, a group of people in your living room and, and, and get into the scriptures and, and study about who God is and encourage each other with our lives, life on life. Not in a vacuum, not in a classroom, but in the midst of the body of Christ being knit together. This will help guard us from false teaching and delusion of our faith. Amen? Amen. Being knit together. Our hearts knit together in love. Gives us, as we see in this passage, an assurance, a full assurance of understanding in the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. His prayer is that we would grow in our understanding of who God is together as we knit our hearts together. Why do we need, why this need for encouragement? I say this in verse 4, in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. This need for encouragement as our lives are knit together and as we're growing in our understanding of who God is, is to protect them. He's writing this to protect them from being deluded from these false teachers that are coming against these believers. This is how we guard from false teaching. We guard from false teaching by reflecting. Paul's saying, reflect on my struggle. Paul's saying, knit your hearts together in love and in encouragement, and this will lead to a greater understanding of the knowledge of God. And then we see in verse five that Paul, the main point, uh, the main point of Paul's purpose is that he's, he's delighted now in their firm faith in Christ. He's, he's encouraged in the firmness of their faith, and he's calling them to guard against it being deluded by doing these things. This is what he's getting at in this passage. You know, And what are some practical applications about this? What are some practical ways that we, as Renovation Church, can guard against this attack from the enemy, that we could be knit together as one, like you saw in the movie Gladiator, in such a way that we live our lives growing to know Jesus better and who he is and the mysteries of the gospel. We knit closer together in love and encourage one another. How do we do this? You know, if you look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4, I'm sorry, first let's go to Philippians. Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. You know, it's interesting. I was uh, sharing this verse with my son the other night because he was struggling with some things. And this is such a powerful passage. As We read it together, and I told him to memorize it. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. In the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen? There's this idea of Paul uh, saying to them, I want you to be encouraged. And as you'll see in verses 6, 7, and 8, he completes that encouragement with being thankful. Thanksgiving. I want you to be encouraged and thankful. And it gives me this picture of when things happen in our lives, we don't always exercise this thing that Paul is saying will guard us from delusion. Here's what I mean. When something great happens in your life, like, and I, I, we can make it simple, like, this, this happened to me the other day. This excites me so much. Wegmans was packed. There's cars everywhere, and I'm thinking, how far am I going to have to park, right? You guys ever... And I'm on Route 57, and as I'm pulling around, I see this car pulling out right in front, right? And I'm thinking, it's gotta be handicapped. And then, oh, to my surprise and my joy, as I saw that that yet this woman looked very elderly as she was pulling out, this was not a handicapped spot at Wegmans. And the excitement in me, and and as I pulled in, you know, it it, it made my day. I don't know why I'm bringing this up, because this is a very minimal thing. But as things happen in your life as things begin to come together do we ever do we ever think and this is stupid cuz the parking spot never mind but do we live a life of encouragement and gratefulness do we live a life of encouragement and thankfulness to God recognizing where all good things come from do we live a life when things begin to fall together that we stop and we, we respond? Not, not worship like we just did, but with worship, with a heart of worship and encouragement. Do You hear what I'm saying? Do you worship God in your life? Not in song on Sunday night, but do you worship him with your life? Do you recognize him in the day to day? Do you recognize him and what he has done for you? Even in the midst of bad times, recognizing that he's in control and he's sovereign. And in the midst of blessing, recognizing who he is and what he's done for you. Do you live a life of completed encouragement, which is thanksgiving and worship to God? I think that's a part. As you see this passage and as it extends to verse 8, you see where Paul's getting at to help guard against the delusion of our faith. If we're never recognizing God for what he's done in our lives and what he continues to do, then we continue to walk in a life of delusion. And our faith will be, if not maintained in gratefulness and encouragement and in thanksgiving and worship, our life will naturally degrade into a place of selfishness and only thinking of ourselves and what we can do for ourselves. And you will be deluded in your faith. There's a warning here to guard against the delusion of your faith by walking in encouragement and in thanksgiving. Amen. In a life of worship to God. I think that's a practical application or outcome of this passage. Look at Ephesians chapter 5 verse 4. Man, this is huge for me. I'm preaching to myself because I have a sharp tongue sometimes. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. I am one to joke nonstop. And I want you to think about this. If you leave tonight, and you go out to Tully's, and you sit down with a group of people from the church, and the first thing that comes to the conversation is, man, the music was loud, he preached too long, and the kids, whatever, and that's how the conversation starts in the midst of your dinner, it's going downhill from there, right? I mean, it's, it's going to just start, if that's the starting point, that's where it's going. It's going to a place of, of backbiting and discouragement and gossip and, and the chipping away at, at what God is calling us to protect in this passage. But if you get together and, and not, and get away from, and I'm preaching to myself, the flippant, sarcastic type of conversation that I'm prone to, and have moments of genuine encouragement with each other so that your hearts can be knit together, where's it gonna go from there? Where is the moment? of sober, genuine encouragement as we do life together as God has called us to serve one another? Where is the moment of, you know what? God has so blessed me in that you're in my life. And here's how he's gifted you. Do we speak through the word of God prophetically into each other's lives? Do we look at one another with genuine encouragement and build each other up? Do conversations start like that? Because Paul here is getting at these people as he fears that the enemy is encroaching to delude and to attack and to chip away at their faith. He says, come together as one. Be knit together in the encouragement of each other and in the growing of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And this will guard against the delusion that the enemy wants to do in the life of the church. Amen? Genuine encouragement. Genuine, sober, not flippant communication with one another about who we are and how we bless each other and who God's called us to be. Again, not, not a cheap advertisement, but we get together in missional community for this pers- purpose, to, to, to help cultivate these relationships and the ability to speak into each other's lives. As an elder team, we, we do this. As an elder team, we joke, believe me. We have, uh, generally starting at about 8 o'clock in the morning, a series of text messages between the four of us that Tim Bissell just ignores altogether. And, and, we, and we rip on each other bad. <clears throat> and, it, and it gets funny, and, and sometimes the sarcasm doesn't come through in the text, and, it, and people get upset, but we, we know how to joke with each other. But there comes a time often, that we sit across the table as God has knit us four dudes together in a way that is wonderful as we experience this, that we genuinely look across the table at each other and speak encouragement. We sat not too long ago and talked about, as we are preparing for um, organizing the best way for the four elders to serve this body. We spoke into each other's lives about giftings and calling and and what has God gifted you to be. And can I tell you that Paul, obviously, is right in what he's saying? God is right in what he's saying to us in Ephesians chapter two, one through five. Because it's impossible to know this stuff. It's impossible to grow in the mysteries of the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and and to grow in the knowledge of who God is without someone else speaking into your life, things you can't see. A good, my boss's mother, he always quotes his mother. He says, it's hard to see the picture if you're inside the frame, right? We need other people to speak into our lives. Encouragement and understanding. I've learned more about who I am from these guys speaking to me than I ever could have on my own. God's calling us to be knit together, to encourage one another, to grow in the knowledge of Christ, to guard against delusion. This is important for us today at Renovation Church. God has given us a very, very firm understanding, I believe, of what our mission is, what he's called us to do. I believe we have, from, from a lot of prayer and a very smart guys working hard, I believe we have a very, very biblical vision and mission and purpose. And... And we're going to hold tight to that. Can I say that? On behalf of the elders, the close-handed issues about who God is and what he's called us to do, we're going to hold tight to it. We're going to guard against false teaching. We're going to guard against the delusion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are going to stand on the word of God and not compromise that for one second. And we are going to do everything we can to ensure that the body of Christ, as it is Renovation Church here, locally represented, does the same thing. And we can do that together as our hearts are knit together, as we struggle together, as we worship together, as we grow in the knowledge of who God is together. And as we encourage each other with genuine encouragement together, we're going to grow, we're going to stand firm, and we're going to guard against this world and the enemy's attempt to delude what God's doing in this place. Amen? Are you guys with me in that? Let's stand and pray. God, we come to you recognizing our propensity to be deluded, recognizing our propensity to be easily distracted, recognizing how easy it is for us to fall away and for our faith to be degraded into something that is unrecognizable biblically, and in the context of what you've revealed yourself to be. And we ask, we, we plead with you tonight that you would protect us, that you would help us to guard against this attack that we recognize is, 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 appara- is, is, is apparent, it's, it's immediate. Help us to guard together in the way that you've instructed us to through your word. As Paul wrote to these churches, God, we respond and we ask you to knit our hearts together, that we would be encouraged by one another, that we would grow in the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the knowledge of who you are, who you've revealed yourself to be in your word. God, I pray that we would grow together that we would be thankful, that we would live a life of encouragement and thanksgiving and worship to you, and that we would do it encouraging each other, challenging each other together. Knit our hearts in love. Not the kind of love that we have as a definition in our brain that's been affected by so many sinful circumstances, but the definition of love that you give in your word that never fails. The kind of love that's not based on someone's performance, but it's based on a choice to love. The kind of love that you demonstrated on the cross when we were not even looking for you and you died for us. When we were in our hearts rejecting you, you loved us. You loved us in the ultimate way, paying the price of our sin, experiencing the judgment of God for sin so we don't have to. We're so grateful to you. Help us to respond and worship together and in thanksgiving for who you are. In Jesus' name, everybody said.